Amen. If you have your Bibles, I know it's a special day, a day that uh, we want to, if possible, spend time with family. And uh, so we are going to be cognizant of the time. Uh, I do want to uh, remind you that we are going to continue in revival Tuesday night at the Pasadena location with Brother Jeff Morgan. And uh, he'll also be with us here this next Sunday. So we're anticipating a tremendous move of God. How many were amazed by the move of God that happened on Tuesday night at the Pasadena? It was really, really, really something. Breakthrough. And uh, I know that God has great things in store for Life Church as we continue to move forward. I want you to look in the book of Exodus chapter 2 and uh, verse number 1. Exodus chapter 2, we're going to read the first 10 verses. It says, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit uh, what would be done to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. When she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. She had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. In the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, I'm going to read but one verse. Hebrews, chapter number 11, and verse number 24. The Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure, treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Amen. I said I was going to read just one. I read a few there. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, uh, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I want to speak just for a few moments today on this Mother's Day of 2012 about the hand that rocks the cradle, the hand that rocks the cradle. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your mercy to us, Lord. We thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. All of us that are here today are here because a mother brought us to birth, and that alone is a blessing. Many of us, Lord Jesus, in, enjoyed the blessing of wonderful mothers that helped us and directed us and uh, uh, gave us uh, everything that we needed to be a success in life. And we thank you, Lord, for these blessings. Today, for the next few moments, Lord, as we honor our mothers and consider your goodness to us, I pray that you would bless today and have your way in this place. And everybody said amen. Why don't you put your hands together and give a hand clap of praise to the Lord before you're seated. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. And uh, you may be seated. Now, when you read the Bible, the Old Testament, and even the New Testament, you're probably quick to recognize that there were many great men in Scripture who did significant things and changed their world. As you look through the history of the Hebrew people, there are significant men, these men who brought the people of God, restored uh, the things that had been taken from them, and powerful works were done by these significant men. Well, while I was considering Mother's Day and thinking about how important it is for us to remember mothers, 
I got to thinking and looking into the Bible about how many of these significant men, the Bible makes reference to their mothers. The Bible gives us a picture of something significant that their mother did to sow into their life. Now, you must understand, of course, that the mothers that we read about in the Bible were Hebrew mothers or Jewish mothers. And uh, I know that uh, there is a stereotype that comedians use about Jewish mothers, about their tendency maybe to be overprotective, to nag and control and smother their children. But to give you a, a friendlier perspective of kind of this idea of what a Hebrew or a Jewish mother is, this is a quote, endless caretaking and boundless self-sacrifice, constant focus to every aspect of her children's and husband's welfare. And when you look at these great men who did significant things for the kingdom of God, there is no doubt that they were raised and they were brought up in a, the proper seedbed and the proper foundation being provided by their mothers. I think that we all understand that in ancient culture that it was the men who were responsible for strapping on the swords and the shields and going forward in battle to conquer. It was the men who were the hunters and the gatherers who weren't there very often when the children were growing up, maybe in the evening, or if they were gone on a battle, it would be several weeks or months before they would see their children. And during these times, it was the women, the mothers, that were responsible for raising the children and putting into those children the values that they would have as they became men and women. And when you look at these individuals in Scripture, one of them is the mother of Moses, whose name was Jochebed, who had a significant impact on her son's life, as we can see by the evidence of at a time of decision when he chose not to enjoy Egypt's riches, but to suffer with his people. Something was put into him by his mother, Jochebed. There's another significant figure in Scripture whose name was Samuel. He had a huge impact upon the kingdom of God. It was his ministry that brought the book of Judges to an end and started uh, the, the story of the kings of uh, Israel. He was a prophet. Uh, he was a priest. Uh, and he was a ruler in Egypt. Uh, I'm sorry, in Israel. But his mother, Hannah, was significant. She was one whose womb was shut up and she cried out to the Lord to give her children saying, what good is my life if I don't have children? She said, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. I'll dedicate him to your purpose. And when God blessed her with a little boy who would become the great prophet Samuel, she did just that when he was weaned. She returned him to the house of the Lord to serve the man of God, Eli. On and on we could go. John the Baptist Jesus Christ said there's never been a greater prophet to this day than John the Baptist. Never a greater man that ever lived. But we read in the Bible about his mother, this great woman, Elizabeth. Even Jesus himself. I think it's kind of interesting that when God looked down for generations upon the human experience and observed the array of relationships he had the opportunity to choose which relationships he would experience. And he never was a father. He never was a husband and experienced the relationship of husband and wife. But there was one relationship that God said, I want to try out. And that's the relationship of having a mother. And God himself was robed in flesh and experienced the experience of having a mother with his mother Mary. The title today is The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. This comes from a famous old English poem that says, The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. It is the influence of a mother, what they sow into their child, the values that they give them, and the confidence that they bestow upon their children that gives ladies and women throughout history the opportunity to shape history and to shape what would happen in the world.
There's another story in uh, Romans chapter 16 and verse 13. The great apostle Paul made reference to a man whose name was Rufus. He said, I want you to greet Rufus, and I also want you to greet his mother and mine. When, they, uh, when you read that in uh, Romans chapter 16 and verse 13, the Bible scholars are like, what is he talking about? Is Rufus his brother? Did he have a brother who just so happened to, uh, obviously they would have the same mother? Or is he saying, greet Rufus's mother and then greet my mother as well? But most Bible scholars believe that this woman, who's not even named, her son Rufus's name, was such an impactful woman of God that she became a mother figure to the great apostle Paul who was a convert to the Christian faith. And I want to not only honor physical mothers here today, but I also want to honor those uh, who stand up and become mothers in the faith uh, to new believers and maybe those who don't have a godly mother or don't have a mother in the church uh, and they can uh, yield that kind of influence. Amen. I remember Brother Don Sanchez sharing with us that when he first came into the church, uh, he remembers being encouraged repeatedly uh, by Brother Steve Winkle's mother, Sister Winkle, who took on a mother role spiritually for him in his life. And today we honor those who are raising their children in church. And today we honor those who, whenever they see a new babe born into the kingdom of God, that nurturing instinct kicks in. And they know, I've got to encourage this child if they're going to make it. I've got to be there for them. Amen. If they're going to survive spiritually. And I want to challenge all of us today to be mothers in Zion, to be mothers in the church, in the kingdom of God to encourage those who come to be part of the kingdom of God. Also, there's another lady who's not even referenced. We don't even hear one thing about her in the Bible. But I let my imagination go. I put two and two together. And I realize and discover quickly that this lady, even though we don't hear any of her biography in Scripture, was a significant person. And that is the unnamed, unmentioned mother of Daniel, Daniel, the Daniel in the lion's den, the Daniel that refused to eat the king's meat, the Daniel that stood before kings and became second in command, that Daniel. Because the story in scripture of Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is this. These young men were raised in Israel. They were taught the principles of being holy people in the kingdom of God. But at a certain point in their development, many believe in their adolescence, Israel was overtaken by Babylon. And as they came in and sacked the area, they took the choicest of the young men and they brought them, plucked them out of their homeland and brought them into Babylon. And there they were going to be trained to lead and direct their people in a puppet government back in Israel. These young men... Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, others of them were stolen away from their families, were taken from the influencers in their life and brought into the king's palace. And there they begin to be indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon so that they would be advocates of Babylon. And there came a time when they were offered the king's meat to eat. Somewhere, Daniel said, could you do us a favor? I don't want to eat the king's meat. I'm not sure whether it's been offered to idols or not. And one thing I do know is that I was trained not to eat meat that had been offered to idols. And he made that decision that day. He drew a line in the sand and he displayed or expressed the values that had been impressed upon him. Let me tell you, we don't read any stories about it, but I guarantee you, I feel strongly that Daniel's mother sat him on her knee when he was a little boy and began to teach him what it meant to be a Hebrew young man, what it meant to be one of God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that is called to be different from the world, that they can show forth the praises of God who called them and separated them for a purpose. And so when Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego found themselves disconnected from the influence of their parents, living in a pagan land. And they were asked 
to bow down before the graven image, the image that had been erected, the great image. And Nebuchadnezzar said, everybody's got to bow or they're going to be tossed into the fiery furnace. What did they do? When the instruments began to play, everyone began to bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood out like sore thumbs as they refused to bow. Young men who somewhere along the way, some values by a Hebrew mother had been impressed into their spirit like a seal, had been pushed upon them or tattooed on their soul. Somewhere along the way, mother made an impression upon these young men. And when their values were challenged, they stood up for righteousness. I want to tell you today, I want to honor the mothers that are here today that have decided, I want my kids to have values. I don't want them to choose their own values when they get to Babylon. It's one thing I can't understand. I just can't understand this concept uh, that I want my kids to be able to just kind of decide what they want to believe and express their own values. That's ridiculous. I want, how are children supposed to be learning what values are? Or how is our president supposed to sit there and say that he changed his perspective because of what his daughter said regarding his values? I'm sorry, but that's backwards to me. Amen. Traditional biblical values are something that we've got to press into our children. Some of you were raised in a Christian nation. Your kids aren't being raised in a Christian nation. I was raised in the Bible Belt in the 80s. This ain't the Bible Belt in the 80s. This is Babylon, brothers and sisters. Your kids are going to school in Babylon. Your kids are going to work in Babylon. Listen to me. If the kingdom of God is going to be recognized in these last days, there's got to be some mamas that stand up and say, I'm putting values into my kids. I'm impressing truth on the hearts of my children. Because anybody that does something great for the kingdom of God, many of them had something tattooed indelibly on their spirit. I don't advocate tattoos, but I think it's interesting that a lot of people, the first tattoo they get, what does it say? Mom. I think that's kind of telling because their mom tattooed something into them. And there's something indelible about the things that parents have an opportunity. I want to encourage and challenge those of you that have kids living in your home right now. If your children are little, you've got a lot of time. If your children are moving into their teenage years, you may not have as much time, but you got some time. You got some time to determine. I have some values that I want my children to have as they live in Babylon. And I want to make sure they get impressed into them. And I thank God, I thank God for mothers who will impress values on their children. Amen. Amen. And uh, we read in your hearing the story, the great story of the deliverer. Um, Many feel in, in terms of history, in terms of impact on the world, this man had a greater impact than anyone in history other than Jesus Christ. His name was Moses. He was not only the deliverer that brought his people out of Egypt, but he's seen by many people as the father of Israel, the father of the nation of Israel. He's also the first lawgiver. In Western civilization, the code of ethics and legal system points back and has its roots in Moses' legal system that he he established as directed by God. Significant figure. World changer. Every day you live, you're still impacted by Moses. Yes, you are. The laws of the land were shaped, influenced by Moses. But Moses' story is interesting because he lived in a time where Pharaoh had decreed all the babies. The male babies are to be killed. He had a mother named Jochebed. When she gave birth to this child, she said, this is a good boy. 
Every mother thinks their boy's a good boy, huh? This is a good child. I'm going to hide him so that they don't cast him into the Nile River. And so she hid the baby. And then the time came when she could no longer hide him. Maybe his cry had gotten louder. So what did she do? She created this ark for him, placed him in the river, in the bulrushes. The very thing that was going to destroy the baby, the Nile River, became the very thing that saved the child. And of course, Moses, little baby Moses, sister Miriam was sent by her mother to observe, make sure he didn't float away or somebody run off with him. And then as fate would have it, some would call it fate, circumstance, God's plan, sovereignty, Pharaoh's own daughter comes down to that particular place on the Nile to go swimming with her friends. And she sees the package. She goes over, she looks at opens, the baby cries, and compassion moves her heart. To make a long story short, she says, I want this baby for my own. Miriam emerges from her hiding place and says, if you want this baby for your own, I have a suggestion. I know some good Hebrew ladies that could nurse this child for you till he comes of age and can come and live with you. She said, that's great. Call, call one of them here, I'll pay her the wages, and she can take care of this child. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it amazing? That Moses' mother, Jochebed, got paid to do what she loved to do anyway. How many mothers would like to be paid for cleaning that house? Amen. She was paid wages to take care of Moses. How long did she have him? The Bible doesn't say. Bible scholars say he probably was returned to, to Pharaoh's house between the ages of two and seven. Probably later because he could get past the terrible tool, twos and the difficult times, be trained a little bit, and then brought to live in Pharaoh's house as Pharaoh's daughter's own child. There. There he is being raised by his own mother. And something got instilled in Moses. Something got pressed into his spirit. Before he was even six. Let me tell you right now. Some of you feel like kids aren't picking stuff up when they're little. But children pick things up and they're trainable. When they're very, very young. That's why what's happening over there is not babysitting. Life Kids is not babysitting. That's about coming alongside you parents and helping to put values into the kids about the importance of serving God, putting Him first and valuing righteousness. Amen. Because the children are very impressionable. They're receiving direction. The Bible says in Proverbs, says it this way, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. This is what I believe Jochebed was doing for those few years, was training up this young man in the way that he should go. And the Bible says in Hebrews that when he was old or came of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, I'm not a part of Egypt. Egypt is where I live. Egypt's what I've known. Egypt's where I'm located right now. But I'm a Hebrew because something has been put. Come on, someone. Something has been put into my spirit. The word train here, the word train. Train up a child in the way he should go. What does the word train mean? The word train means to hedge in, to put walls around, to narrow the way. Listen to me right now. Kids just go every direction. You know it. You just put your kid down. They just run everywhere. The same is true philosophically, mentally, behaviorally. They'll go. It is our job to train up our child to narrow the way so that they know the pathway that they're supposed to go in. 
because they'll go anywhere. But when you narrow the way, you create the pathway for them to walk in. And then when you're no longer there to narrow the way, they know the way they're supposed to go. Are you listening right now? That's, that's why some of the philosophies on parenting, I don't understand. I'm glad that I wasn't raised by a wide path parent. Amen. All right? Certain things didn't happen in our house. Certain things weren't allowed around our place. Amen. And so... Sometimes I didn't like it. I'm not saying it always made me smile, but it taught me. I don't go here. There's a curb stop there. There's a curb stop here. I'm going this way. Sometimes I would buck up against it. I wouldn't like it, but I realized my parents are training me in the way that I ought to go. And there's coming a day when I'll come of age and I'll get to choose wherever I want to go. I'll get to choose whatever my values are going to be. I get to choose whatever's important and not important to me, but I've already got a pathway. I've already got a established road. See, the Bible says that there's a wide path that leads to destruction, but there's a straight and narrow way that leads to eternal life. Few there be that find it. Amen. Few people find the narrow way. But there's a lot of people that are trained in the narrow way. I had to be saved just like everybody else. But I didn't have to find the way. The way was made for me. And I walked in it. And I found truth. Amen. Not because I was snooping and looking, but because there was walls that said, this is the way of truth. You walk in it while you're a little boy. And then when you become a man, you can decide which way you want to live. I found the narrow way. I'm thankful for the narrow way because the narrow way leads to salvation. Are you listening to me right now? Train up a child. Train up a child. Narrow the boundaries in the way they ought to go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. I understand that children go through young people, teenagers, even people that are marrying age and married go through rebellious or curious stages where they wander and they try and they sample and they experience. But there's something in their spirit that says, I know that's the right way. I believe that's what the scripture is saying here when it says they will not depart from it. Not that they won't get off the path, but they're always going to know the way they should go. They're always going to know what's the tried and true path. They're always going to know. See, I've been, I walked this way the first 18 years of my life. I may go out and do my own thing, but I know what the way is. I know my way back to the way. And that's why I want to encourage parents here today. I know of parents that raised their children the right way, gave them the right direction. Their children walked away from God. But don't stop praying, Mom. Don't stop believing, Mom. Amen. Because there's something that's impressed on their spirit, something that's been put into them. to say in this world I'm just a little bit worked up and I'm sorry but I'm just a little bit worked up about this this world has rejected Judeo-Christian values the United States of America is in the process of rejecting our foundation it's going to throw our culture and society into a tailspin listen to me right now there's got to be some people who despite the opposition, despite the pressure, despite the push from this world, that are going to stand up for biblical values, that are going to stand up for righteousness in the middle of a world that thinks they're foolish, backward, unenlightened. Come on. Come on, Daniel. What does it matter what you eat? You're in Babylon now. Daniel said, "Huh, uh this is something I purpose not to do. Come on, Shadrach, nobody's watching you. Mama's not here anymore. There's no pastor looking. No, these are values now. These aren't my parents, they're mine. God have mercy. We understand from the word of God that the church is the mother of our salvation experience. Jesus Christ, our heavenly Father. Jesus Christ, the one that purchased and earned our salvation. But there is an entity that was there pushing and travailing when you came forth to new, forth to new birth. It was the church of the living God. The church of the living God is that entity 
which is to use God's word to take new people and give them a track to run in, a pathway that will lead them to life everlasting. Sometimes we chide against it. Sometimes we resist the overview of overlooking of of, of our mother. I, I know my mom was all up in my business. Anybody have a mama like my mama? She was in my business. Oh, yeah, he did. He had one of those. Yeah, you didn't have no secret compartments that mom couldn't come into. Not in our house, because we didn't pay rent. So she could walk in anytime she wanted. She could look through my stuff, and she did. Go through the closet drawers, and she did, or I would never have anything in them because she put all the clothes in them after she washed them. She could go through my CDs. Actually, let's be realistic. Those were tapes back then. (laughs) She could go through my big vinyl records, my eight-track cassettes. No, I didn't have any of those. She could go through and listen. You remember that, AJ, when you had a tape you weren't supposed to? Yeah. And he recorded some devil music on his own little cassette tape. And it wasn't a, he didn't go out and buy, buy the tape. It was his own cassette tape. I don't know if he got it from a friend or off the radio or whatever. But uh, my mom just had me snooping through his room and found it. And uh, I remember my mother taking that ta- tape. I've told this story here before. Some of you have heard it. And she said, boys, get in here. Boys, get in here. So all three of us went in. Look what I found. I said, it's a cassette tape. Wow. This is a, this has music. I told you you're not supposed to listen to this music. AJ had this in his room. And she took that, that cassette tape and she took a pair of scissors. And she took the blades, the blade part in her hand and took the handles like this and put the cassette tape. I remember this. Put the cassette tape between the handles of the, of the uh, scissors and went over to the counter and just go, <laughs> she came wild-eyed and the cassette was broken in pieces. She said, this is not to be in this house. You're not to be listening to this. Amen. Amen. That's a mother who is creating boundaries, creating a pathway of success. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful for my mother. My dad was a great man of God, but he was busy. My mom was there. Dad was gone. A lot of times I wouldn't see him for a few days. A lot of times he would come in in the evening and just play with us for a little bit before we went to bed. But mom was there. She was there all the time. She was the Hawkeye. She was the one observing. She was the one correcting. She was the one giving direction. She was the one that was taking the seal into my impressionable heart and pushing values into my heart. There's some things I'm thankful for in my life that aren't a product of me being a good person. They're a product of values that were pressed into me. I'm thankful I can stand before you today, not braggadociously, but just in factual information and tell you. I've never had a a cigarette. I've never even... I never inhaled or blew out nothing. I never had a cigarette. I've never tasted a single drop of an alcoholic beverage. I was a virgin when I married my wife. You know why? I know some of you are first generation in the church. You didn't have that opportunity to walk in a pathway like that. You say, how, how? Obviously, I had to make some choices and some decisions. Mom can't be there with you every minute when you're 13, 14, 15. Amen. But she put an impression on me when I was little. She put an impression on me, and I I didn't want to do anything to disappoint my dad, and I didn't want to do anything to make my mama mad. Come on, somebody. It was an impression put into my spirit, and I want to encourage and challenge you that have little kids today. Don't let this world put pressure on you to let them live however they want, go wherever they want, and do whatever they want. You're in charge. You hear me? Their teachers aren't in charge. Their friends, parents aren't in charge. You are in charge. You take the word of God and say, this is how I want to raise my kids. This is how I want them to live. These are the values that I want to put into the hearts of these little people. 
Because one day they're going to have to decide whether they're going to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Hallelujah. I want to tell you the kids that are raised in truth have God's favor on them. My first boss told my dad, you're going to have to beat people off of this boy with, with a stick because God's favor is on him. He wasn't even a Christian. He wasn't even a believer. But he recognized. And the world wants God's favored people. The world wants to snatch and use them and sap all of the influence out of them. But I want to tell you, you've got to put some values in them. You've got to put some solid values in your children. Come on, let's praise the Lord right now. Come on, let's praise the Lord right now. Let's thank Him for what He's done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some things that I learned from my mother, as I close here, some values I picked up from my mom. Many of you can concur. Number one is sacrifice. I learned from my mother, observing her, that it's not about me. I watched my mom, and some of you can concur, give up sleep for me. I watched my mom in a hotel room, five people, four pillows. Guess who slept without a pillow? Not one of us kids, my mama, mama did. I learned from my mother, sacrifice and hard work. That's where I picked it up. That's where it was impressed in my spirit. That's why I can't sit around and talk while I see other people working. I just can't do it. Something got pushed into my spirit, and it's tattooed on my heart, and it's never going to change. Amen. These are values that I picked up from my mother when I was little. This is what Jochebed was putting into Moses. This is what Daniel's mother was putting into him. This is what Hannah was impressing upon Samuel. Come on. Something was put into them. I was taught respect from my mother. Respect, respect for authority. She had a very strong way of teaching me how to respect authority. Her philosophy was, when I tell you to stop, I, don't, I want you to stop the first time I tell you. She said, uh, my dad taught me that's what she said. She said, my father taught me. I saw a little boy run into the street and I saw a mother begging him to stop. Please stop, please stop. Oh, oh, please stop. She said, that's not going to work in my house. AJ, did mom ever beg us to stop? She just told us, didn't she? Stop! Man, fear of God, respect. Because when you don't teach your kids that, you're setting them up for failure and problems and issues in life. Amen. Teach them how to respect authority, you being that authority. Teach them there are consequences when they disobey. I learned respect for authority from my mother. Amen. She taught me certain ways I don't talk to her. I don't talk to my dad certain ways. I learned because they were the authority in my life. And then when I got up a little older, I learned and passed that on to my teachers, how I taught them, I treated them, to uh, government authorities, police officers. I was taught respect by my mother. I was taught about priorities from my mother. What does that mean? That simply means some things are important, other things aren't. And not everything is equally important. I, um, I, I'm just telling you where, where, where I came from because I'm sharing you with you the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that shapes the world. I was taught that there are some things that are more important than others. And while my parents valued education, so much so that all three of their sons got a college degree, a bachelor's in college degree. And uh, we did well because they impressed that upon us. But I'm going to tell you right now, education was not the most important thing. And if there ever was a conflict between our education and the kingdom of God, education always lost every single School activities, community involvement. There was a time and a place. 
but it always was second place to the kingdom of God. I'm just telling you what made me who I am is that mom and dad taught me the value of priorities. The Bible says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the blessings will be added unto you. And I'm thankful that I received that. I was taught the importance of relationships and how they influence your life from my mother. How that there's some people, if you're friends with them, they're going to drag you down. And my mom always knew who I was with and where I was. And if she wasn't happen, happy about it, she became a Hebrew mama and manipulated the situation so that I wasn't around the people she wasn't comfortable with me being around. I'll tell you a story. Uh, is it possible to turn the tape off for a minute? It was putting into the heart of young men, three young men, principles and values that would never leave them. I want to challenge you mothers, and I want to encourage you mothers. You can make a difference. You are making a difference. The last thing I want to say is you make a whole lot bigger impression by what you do than by what you say. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's, I, I just, I love it when I see on setup night when people are setting up here, mom and dad come out and they bring the children. And the children just running around, they're having a great time, man. They would, there's no place they'd rather be than here with the other kids that are playing. But something is being tattooed on their spirit. Something is being indelibly inked into their spirit in terms of the value of the kingdom of God, the importance of the kingdom. That's just one area of many, many areas that I could mention. But I want to tell you that your life choices, your lifestyle, your values, your priorities, and the things that you allow and you don't allow make an impression upon the hearts your kids. Why don't we stand together right now? I, I just want to, she's not here today, but I want to do this for my mom. If you want to do it for your mom, that's fine. I just want to give her a hand right now. excited about what God's going to be doing in this revival in the coming weeks. Many of you don't know, some of you don't know, but onto the altar, the platform on Sunday, I'm sorry, on Tuesday, Tuesday night, no offering was taken. People began to bring cash, checks, drop them on the altar. Before the night was over, over almost $14,000 was laying on the altar for revival. We're going to continue in a spirit of revival. We may do a big block party and uh, uh, do an evangelism blitz in the area and do a big block party over there. We're going to have preaching and teaching. Brother Morgan, Brother Godwin. God's ready to take this church to the next level. And there's a lot of people who are been raised in or even being raised right now in homes where there are no, are, are no boundaries, where there's no pathway. And they're just living however. And they're not being taught the path. But the power of the Holy Spirit is going to bring them into the path. Amen. The teaching of the Word of God. The gospel message. But I felt it was good today, right in the middle of this revival, to pause and remember. The ones, not the ones that are coming in, but the kids that are being raised in our church. And the mothers and fathers that are putting values into their children. And the fact that Life Church is coming alongside to help reinforce these values. And say, we've got little world changers in the room right over there. 
little tiny evangelists, little tiny prayer warriors, little tiny people of faith. My God. Life Church, we're training them up. In your household, you're the priest of your home. Fathers, mothers, you're the ones right on the front lines. And I honor you today. And I encourage you. And I challenge you. Don't let this world back you in the corner. It's not a new thing. Be what God's called you to be. Why don't we gather around as a church family right now? Before we leave here today, just for a moment, I want us to pray together. Just so I don't leave the story suspended, the young lady that did come to visit would have been a horrible, horrible choice in my life as things have unfolded. And so I thank God for that. Well, I want us to just, just come on, come in close. Come in close right here because I want to bless this whole church. I want to bless every family. I want to pray God's blessing upon you. I want to pray that God would give you courage. Because it takes courage to go against the flow, doesn't it? You got to have that heart like a salmon. Says, I'm going upstream. Everybody else going downstream. I'm going the other way. I'm marching to the beat of a completely different drummer. I'm living my life as an example. I'm training my kids, my children, future generation. So I want you, if your family's close by, take hold of them. If there's someone around, the family's not here, you can join and pray with them. Because we're going to pray. In the name of Jesus. first thing I want us to do is I want us to pray for the children if you have children I want you to pray for them if you have teenagers little ones we're going to pray for them in Jesus name pray that God would give us help give us wisdom give us courage to be good parents if you don't have any kids out age you may have some grandkids that age I want you to pray for them if you don't have kids or grandkids that age little cousins nieces nephews or little kids that you love I want you to pray for them right now in Jesus name let's pray for them Lord God I thank you for the gifts that you've given us in these little children, Lord God. Our daughters and sons and grandkids, Lord Jesus, nieces and nephews. I pray in the name of the Lord for them that you would put a hedge of protection about them. Give us wisdom, Lord, and courage to train them, to narrow the way for them and show them the pathway. In the name of Jesus, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, give us wisdom in passing on truth to make truth so precious and valuable to them in their eyes, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus for young adolescents, pre-adolescents and teenagers, Lord God, seeking their identity, Lord Jesus. Some finding it, Lord God, with groups and gangs. But I pray in the name of the Lord, let there be... (laughs) A family identity, Lord Jesus, in the local family and in the family of God as well, Lord Jesus. We satisfy that need in the name of the Lord. I pray for our children's ministry, life kids, anoint every person that serves there, Lord. Let them see their role and the significance of shaping the world and changing the world by investing into kids. For the young people, Lord Jesus, and those that are going to serve in youth ministry, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you're close to a mother right now, I want you to reach over and just respectfully lay your hand on their shoulder. And I want you to pray for that mother right now. In the name of Jesus. I want you to pray that God would give them strength that God would enable and equip and empower them to be godly examples, to impress things into their children, to give them hope and faith, great faith, that God, even though the situation may look bleak at times, God, I'm trusting you. In the name of the Lord, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you.
for these precious mothers, these women of God. <laughs> these precious women who have imperfections, failures and mistakes. We're just people, God. But we're trying to do something for you, Lord, and for our family. And I pray, Jesus, that you would equip them, strengthen and encourage them, lift them up in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, God. We only have a few years. We only have a little bit of time. God, I pray that you would equip, empower them to make the impression that they can upon their children. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The last thing I want us to pray for is our spiritual mother, the church. Pray that God would strengthen the church. Give the church wisdom and courage to stand up and give direction to the body of Christ, especially those new people that come into the, into the church. In the name of the Lord, pray for the church right now. God, we pray for life, church. We pray, Lord Jesus, that this uh, God-ordained, blood-bought uh, organism, Jesus, would work and operate, Lord God, in the way that you have challenged it to. Let the church of the living God be nurturing. Let it be loving. Let it be patient. Let it have unconditional love. But let it be courageous enough to give values and direction to people. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name. Let's just praise Jesus for a minute. I feel the Holy Spirit here. Let's just praise him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Just clap your hands and rejoice in the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. you do matters. When you change a poopy diaper, you're making a difference in the world. When you give a little biffy bath, you're making a difference in the world. When you help with the science project, uh -huh, you're making a difference in the world. What you're doing matters, mother. The most important thing. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. I want to encourage you. Come out Tuesday night. Thursday is prayer at 8. If you're able to come, come out Tuesday night. Let's just see what God's going to do. There's some miracles about to start taking place. In Jesus' name, God bless you. And all your team lists are outside in the info booth. And uh, tonight, mothers, or today, there's a gift for you as you walk out. So we don't want you to leave without a gift. Every mother, and even if you are a spiritual mother, we want every woman of God here to receive a gift um, but mothers come first here at Life Church. God bless you. We love you.